Welcome to another episode of Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. My name is Cameron, and I am joined by the one and the only Mr. Garland Autry. What's up, Garland? Always a privilege. Uh, love talking to you. So uh, I don't know about one and only, um, but uh, yeah, here we go. No, I checked. I checked. Uh, I checked. There are no other Garland Autrys uh, in, in the world. At least that, so. we want to claim that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we should just get into it. We have another modern question. I think it's one that every Christian wrestles with on some level or another. And it's an important one. It's an important one because it has to do with the foundational chapters and ideas of the Christian Bible, uh, which is how old is the earth? Uh, more specifically, does the Bible teach that the earth is, let's say, 6,000 years old? Um, so give us a two-sentence answer to that question. Yeah, in a, I can give you a, uh, a two-word answer to that question, and it would be this. <laughs> that depends. That depends uh, Ooh, on who you ask. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I think the reason we're we're having a question like this even is we we go back to Genesis one, uh, really Genesis one to three a lot in this podcast. Um, I think um, similar podcasts, people in apologetics and theology, oftentimes we refer back to Genesis one, two, and three, and rightly so. It's foundational for helping us understand the story that we're caught up in and how God interacts with that story. And it's foundational for not only ancient Hebrew people but for Christians uh, trying to follow Jesus in the modern world of uh, the 21st century that we're in. And so um, while we do refer to it a lot, I think frequently um, when we talk about Genesis 1, um, there it comes with a preloaded set of assumptions as to what that means, or maybe even better, what Christians think that that chapter means. And so uh, I'll just speak, you know, from my own personal journey in this, you know, growing up in the South, uh, you know, it was sort of a preloaded assumption that the answer to this question, does the Bible teach that the earth is 6,000 years old or something like that, very young? It was a preloaded answer, yes. Um, it was not even really something I thought was worth questioning because it just seemed like that was what the Bible said. That's what a lot of little kind of kids' Bible books seem to say, something like that. Um, it was just the natural assumption that I had made. And um, I think what made that what made that answer to the question problematic for me, and I'm just you know sharing a little bit of my own personal journey here, is yeah. when I went to you know State University here in the South, uh, so you know the University of Arkansas, and was was initially had that idea challenged. It was a challenge in a bunch of classes. It was challenged by people with PhDs. It led for me to a just a serious amount of doubt about. My faith, um, and I remember, um, you know, many just you know kind of nights of just wrestling deeply with the answer to this question. And um, it actually, for me, I, I thank the Lord uh, because He was really, really faithful. I think to either provide me with uh, just the, the right an article or a book or a conversation or a person or this is a little bit before the podcast days, uh, or just even a settled confidence that I can trust him even though I don't have the right answer or maybe I don't even have a stab at an answer. And what what that propelled for me was really a journey, um, a journey that I think I'm kind of still in the midst of in trying to answer this question. And so um, if you are if you are in a similar place, maybe you you've thought the 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 most natural answer to this question was 
yes, the earth is very young. And maybe you're experiencing the first challenge to that. Um, maybe you're just wrestling with Genesis, or maybe you are somebody skeptical about Christianity, and uh, somebody sent you this, and you think that Christians are stupid because you think Christians must think the earth is really young. <laughs> um, then let me just invite all of you listening to this um, to maybe go on a, a bit of a journey yourself, and you may land on the exact same place. Uh, you may come back to answering this question with, yes, the earth is super, super young, um, and many Christians do, um, but you may find yourself uh, working through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 um, for years like I have, and, uh, and this, is, this might be the beginning of that journey uh, for you. I mean, Cameron, what about you? I know, uh, you know, we went to the U of A together. So how was your journey in this? Was it a, was it a fraught with difficulty or was it rather smooth sailing? I would say it was somewhere in the middle. Um, it was kind of a point like, you know, probably by high school, I was kind of aware of, uh, the tension between what I had grown up being taught, same as you, the earth that we had a young earth, 6,000 years old or so. Um, and kind of what I was getting in science textbooks and what the kind of, you know, kind of getting increasingly getting a basic understanding of like, here's what science seems to have discovered and why it believes these things. And it was compelling. And I think for me, where most of the tension was located was this idea that I felt like so guilty about like trying to re-examine Genesis in light of some of this information, because I thought, I thought I was dishonoring God or showing a lack of trust in him. And so that, that was kind of the hurdle for me to get over, if that makes sense. It was kind of like interrelational with God. It's connected to things we've talked about on the podcast before. There was just kind of a fear of, of pressing in and kind of wanting to keep a, keep a distance from it um, that ultimately is like an intimacy killer with God. And right. um, I, I mean, we're going to talk about how I, I think there are sympathetic ways to approach all of these like many of the different views. Um, and the worst thing you can do is just kind of bury your head in the sand and, and not wrestle and not dig in. I mean, mm -hmm. what I came to realize was that I had a, a kind of a certain cultural understanding of the Bible that was controlling my reading of it. And I, I didn't want just a different cultural view, say modern Western, uh, scientific, modern scientific <laughs> view yeah, to, like naturalistic, to, to con yeah. naturalistic to control it. I needed to get back and understand what is the Bible saying on its own terms and wh wherever it is speaking and how it's speaking, I'm willing to submit to it. But, but that was a big breakthrough for me coming to see like, yeah. that's where you have to have to begin. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was a, an uncomfortable journey and, uh, but what I'm thankful for. I think you're articulating really well. I was just going to give a, a quick, like, just four reasons why this matters um, even before we before we yeah. dive in. I think we're both articulating it. First, our own personal story, uh, our own journey of trying to understand what these texts say. And also, uh, you use the word guilt. I use the word fear. Um, and, you know, those are, those are serious, you know, emotional words to use about something like the answer to this question. And so, you know, we want to think critically and think uh, biblically about this question for our own just wrestling with doubt. We also want to have plausible answers for our culture. Um, and like we said, if you're listening to this, uh, I hope you'd lean in. The third reason, the first is our own personal story. The second is our friends and neighbors who may have serious concerns about the Bible. The third um, is 
these the questions of how the world came to be, how the universe came to be, these are not like elementary, nothing insignificant kinds of questions. Like I remember my son asking me uh, questions about, like we were at the beach and he asked questions about um, uh, like a bird that flew over and then the sun and the moons and the planet, the moon and the planets and stars and how we answer these kinds of questions about where we came from and what does it mean to be a person and what is our solar system and all these kinds of things. These are like... these are like the most fundamental, profound kinds of questions that we could ask or answer, and how you answer it has a dramatic, uh, has dramatic implications about life. Um, And, and I mean, I just think about the fact that, like, every culture virtually in the world has to, has stories, and, you know, every religion virtually mm -hmm, offers mm -hmm. some version, it might be very vague or it might be very detailed of this, Mm -hmm. uh, down to, like, Virtually every child you run into at some point runs into these questions. They're just inescapable, and mm-hmm. it's exactly as you said. It, it, they're so important in part because how you answer them shapes so much about how you actually live your life in this mm-hmm. world. Yeah. And like, your understanding and of it, your place. It, it really it, so. does. And and it's it, and I could we could be silly with that. Like when we went to Colorado and we were out at kind of Garden of the Gods outside Colorado Springs and they had an exhibit about how the rocks were formed. And, you know, as I stood there, um, if you approach this question and say, no, I think the earth is super, super, super young, then you're going to stand there while your son or daughter asks you, okay, Dad, what about this rock? It's this many millions of years old. And even in, I'm kind of I'm kind of making it almost kind of trite or silly with this example, but um, how do you respond? You know what? How did this come to be? Uh, how did this yeah. this you know this bird come to be? Um, so those are really profound questions. The fourth is this. Um, the fourth kind of reason why it matters is hermeneutics. Like we want to understand the Bible. That's that's what we're doing, and you articulated that really well. It's not that we're trying to make the Bible fit modern science. Um, if that's a happenstance, then so be it. Uh, and if not, then so be it. But what does Genesis actually say? And what hermeneutics is, is really simply just understanding communication. And you and I are doing it right now. Like we're both speaking. I think we can understand each other. And a lot of times when there are misunderstandings, say my wife thought she was communicating something with a certain tone and I didn't pick up on the tone, most of the time this, we can understand where it broke down and the stakes aren't that high. But when it's cross-cultural, especially we're talking something from thousands of years ago, from a totally different culture with a different language, and when that communication, like the Bible or the Constitution, claims authority, now the stakes are really high. And so uh, for those four reasons, this is really important. Just a caveat before we go, um, and look kind of at a spectrum here, uh, this this episode will probably uh, be kind of spill the banks of our normal 20-ish minutes. We'll probably move a little longer than that on this one and just uh, just tipping our cap before, uh, just nodding toward that before. The second is there's going to be a lot that we're not going to have uh, the, uh, the occasion now to cover. Um, the, the implications of how you answer this question actually reverberate through the rest of the Bible. And so uh, we'll, we may make a mention of, well, you know, that, that, dovetails into the historical Adam, which dovetails into questions of sin and salvation. But we won't have time to go into all that, I think, now. And just know there will be future episodes coming. And maybe the last caveat before we look at this, uh, maybe a spectrum of the answer would be, um, you, you and I are trained uh, physicists, uh, astronomers. Uh, that's, that's not Speak our for background. Yourself, man. Yeah, I mean, Speak I know you've got a lot of extensive training in, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the creation of the universe and physics and those kinds of things, metaphysics and nope. quantum mechanics. Zero. And so, 
Um, yeah. yeah, so just we're going to approach this primarily as theologians and pastors trying to make sense of this. Um, and any other caveat before we dive in and look at this uh, a bit of a spectrum? Anything else you want to add? No, I think you said it well. We're, we're okay. going to scratch the surface, and uh, that's okay. And hopefully we okay. can all dig deeper in the places that we need to. So let's ask the, the question, th- does the Bible teach, do Christians believe, must they believe that the earth is 6,000 years old? Um, let, let's give a spectrum to that answer. Now, and just before we even then do that, the, the 6,000 comes from l- largely from a medieval tradition of trying to track the genealogies in the Bible and the ages that are recorded in the Bible and working your way back. Um, you, you come to something that's around 6,000 years old, uh, and you can, there's, a, there's a historical development of that and a historical tradition that you can go look at. Um, but So whether it's 6,000 or we might just say, in parentheses, very, 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 very young, okay? Here's our spectrum. So if you're, if you're driving, you have to kind of mentally do this. Uh, if you're sitting down to listen to this, you can write this out, you know, one side or the other. On one side of the spectrum, we are looking for what we might say a science answer. In, in other words, the answer we would give, you could map onto a science textbook and expect that that scientific textbook and the answer you would give to the question about Genesis would be perfectly in line. It's an answer seeking, we might say, uh, to um, line up with a scientific account of the world and its origin. The other side of our spectrum, um, I'll just call the mythological or the the mytho-historical approach. And now don't I can already sense um, just any, somebody listening to this, especially if you're coming from a conservative background, hearing the word mythology and already freaking out. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but uh, a myth is simply a story that explains what we do now as a people, and it does so by rooting what we do now in something ancient and in, in primeval back there. Uh, and so it gives ex- explanation for what I do now because of something from back there. Okay, that's what a myth does. And some ancient myths, uh, many of them we assume because we use the word myth that it must be a false account. Um, But that's sort of a modern conception of the word myth. We're just using myth in the sense of uh, a culture's story that is set back in time. Okay, that's what a myth does. Um, It functions to give explanation for what we do now. So that's what myth does. It's almost like a type of genre. Yeah, it's like a genre. So when we look at the story in Genesis chapter 1, on the on our science side, this is where I think a young earth account of uh, Genesis chapter 1, it's often called the young earth account, would say that Genesis is teaching a very, very, very young earth. It teaches six literal days with God beginning the entire universe on day one, creating out of nothing, and then in six 24-hour periods, uh, the earth as we examine it and look out from the earth uh, is coming to be. And so um, in the the young earth view, they would answer this question with, yes, um, 6,000 years or very, very young. The, the universe is very young. Um, now, the reason I say, I think somebody listening to this who's coming from maybe a skeptical background would go, whoa, 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 whoa. You said this was the science side. Um, you're putting this on the science <laughs> side? I don't think so. Modern science would uh, almost wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, the, the answer that the young earther is going to give to that is that when we examine everything in our world, A, we have to take into account that, that the creation could have occurred with 
age already kind of baked into the system. And so when we look at a star and it's light coming at us from thousands of light years away, we assume that that light's been traveling for all those thousands of years. But what if the creation and how God put that star, that that light was coming at us from just 6,000 years ago, but we are assuming it was coming from way far back. Um, when we look at rock layers in, uh, uh, you know, in the, uh, the, the fossil record and rock layer sediment layers on the earth, they're gonna look at that and say, no, no, look, we have a recent creation of the world and we've got a global flood that's moving water and sediment all over the place and in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, the earth has come to be precisely how we see it. Um, they, the people espousing this view would say when all the facts are, are uh, you know, kind of laid out on the table, that the young, earth would, the young earth position and science would be perfectly in accord. We may not have all those facts yet, but they're looking to explain everything we see from the perspective, not just of a young earth, but also of, uh, we might say, from a scientific account. And I think this is the view that maybe many Christians assume is the view that Christians must take. Um, and it was the view, I think, that I uh, came, you know, especially kind of grow, grew up with. Um, and because I think people are familiar with that, and we'll move on. Any, anything to add to that one? No, I don't think so. Okay. The second on the science side is what most people just call progressive creation or day-age theory, and it goes basically like this. And by the way, we're being outrageously oversimplified on these. We're trying to... Yep. Uh, yep. You summarize, and when you summarize, you're obviously going to leave out a ton. So if you're a young earther and you're like, no, I'd say it differently, uh, you know, let us know, and we'll try to uh, say it better next time. But we're we, trying to we'll do just, justice. We, we intend to sloppily misrepresent every position <laughs> yeah. in this, to the same as degree. As best as we can. <laughs> <laughs> we straw man each one of these, and then we'll give a nice, robust answer yeah. to the one that we favor. That's, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's how this that's works. Right. Um, so the day age goes something like this. The word day in Genesis chapter 1, if you, in your mind, take it out of 24-hour period and insert something like an era, maybe a geological era, and then look at the scientific account of how things came to be, there actually is a lot of uh, correlation and so um, they would use the word day and uh, approach the word day as being used figuratively or poetically in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, therefore, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, it's giving us a scientific account of a, an old earth, a very old universe. Um, but the days represent, you know, eras coming to be. Um, and that that would be how the uh, progressive creationist or the day-ager would be approaching Genesis chapter 1. So the answer to the question, does the Bible teach the earth is 6,000 year, years old? Uh, we said it depends. These Jesus followers would say, no, no, no. We think that the universe is much, much older, but created in six you know, geological eras, we might say. And we find ourselves currently in the one where human beings are living on the earth. Um, anything to add from that one? No, I don't think so. I mean, just to just to steel man it a little bit. I mean, I think a big theological concept that plays into this view is the idea that um, you know the scripture declares for the Lord a day is like a thousand years and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so we we have explicitly in scripture some of these references to just the way in which uh, the Lord um, in time his relationship to time is not like ours. Mm -hmm. That's that's the right. point those verses are, are kind right. of making. And so. Uh, that's that's one little piece of data to to maybe lead you towards considering the the days of creation not as a as a hyper literalistic singular day. Um, not to mention the fact that like the stars are and the sun and the moon are not created on the first. You know, there's 
there's some of those elements too, but I guess we don't have to get into that level of granularity about it. You're right. And there's uh, each one of these has really intelligent Bible believing Jesus followers who really want to study the scripture and uh, who will look at our world and examine it using uh, the things we can sense and test uh, called science and it comes to different conclusions and each one will have some problems. Each one will have some pushback, but uh, yeah, we're just trying to summarize as best we can as we go forward. If we move to the other side of our spectrum. So on the one hand, we're looking for if we, when all the data comes in, the science and the Genesis one will line up uh, perfectly. I think young earth and day age, uh, they would fall into that side of our spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, um, it's what I'm just calling the mythological approach or the mytho-historical approach. Now, just to get us thinking about this, and and we had said earlier, um, we want to understand the Bible, what it's trying to communicate in its language with its conventions. Um, I'm not sure if you had this experience in college. I know I did in one of my classes. Um, If I handed you, if you were just, you know, if you were sitting next to me in a coffee shop and I handed you uh, the Enuma Elish, it's an ancient Mesopotamian creation story uh, that has some interesting points of uh, correlation with the Bible. But if I just, ha- just a little thought experiment here. If I handed you the Enuma Elish and said, read it, especially if I handed it to you in the language it was written in, said, hey, read it and make sense of it. My bet would be you would begin that exercise. You'd begin that entire enterprise with a, out, just a radical sense of humility. Um, you would begin mm. with, like, this is going to be a lot of work. I'm not going to understand. It's going to be communicating something drastically different, asking drastically different answers than, and with different questions than the ones I uh, will, yeah. will approach the world with. And the reason I, every time I teach this in a classroom setting or uh, in some of our classes down here uh, at uh, Fellowship in Arkansas, I always invite people to consider that because when we read Genesis chapter one, it's more like reading the Enuma Elish than it is like reading, uh, you know, a modern scientific textbook. The people that approach yeah. the answer to this question from the mythological side, they're going to begin by wanting the reader, or in this case, the the question asker, to appreciate that. Um, it's they're not affirming that. Therefore, it doesn't mean that what it teaches isn't true, but that we have to realize the genre the type of literature that we're reading and then go accordingly. And to try to force the Bible into the science side, the modern scientific side, and make it answer some of our questions that we have in 2023 is going to be the maybe force the, the book of Genesis to do a dance it's not trying to do, it's not familiar with. And so on the mythological side, there's two that I'll just highlight. One is uh, a view represented by a scholar named John Walton. It's called the Cosmic Temple View. And Walton's... Uh, Walton suggests that um, the creation of, uh, the, of what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is not the account of the creation of the material universe as we know it. Rather, it's communicating a theological point that God has come to bring order and then dwell in the creation he's made, much like the creation of temples were in the ancient world. So temples were built to be the place where the divine and the human come together. And oftentimes they were dedicated in the ancient world with uh, multi-day, sometimes even seven-day sorts of festivals. And then you invite the deity to come and inhabit uh, the temple and therefore to bring blessing to your land. Uh, Walton sees many points of uh, parallel there and sees Genesis 1 not as talking about the material origin of the universe, but rather uh, that the the theological idea that Yahweh, the 
you know, the creator covenant God of Israel brings order and goodness to the world, and then he's coming to really indwell the world that he's made as a temple space. Um, now, I know you're familiar with this view as well. It, it, am I characterizing it fairly? What would you add to that? I know somebody, when I teach this in classes, people are often very, this, this side becomes very unfamiliar. And so uh, help make sense of it, Cameron, if, if I'm missing something there. Yeah, well, I think when you say, which, which right, it, it, it characterizes his view accurately, that he's, he's saying, Walton is saying, the author of Genesis is not interested in the material origin of the universe. He's interested in how it functions and the form and making it hospitable for both humanity as his image bearers and himself as the, as you said, like as this like almost cosmic temple. I think it's important to say that it doesn't mean that Walton doesn't affirm that God did create the material universe uh, right, or right. or that he, he he would reject that other passages don't clearly speak to that. Um, he's talking about the specific kind of main thrust of this passage and what kind of the various parts are, how, why they're organized the way they are to communicate what kind of message. Um, and so, I, yeah, I just want to make sure no one hears that he would he would say, well, God's not the creator of everything right, or, right. or whatever, because um, mm-hmm. I, I could imagine that being a, an easy uh, assumption to make. So if you're if you're diving in, and we'll spend a, we'll camp out on these a little bit just because I think they're so unfamiliar, and we already told you we're going to go long, so we warned you, and he made it this far. Um, but the, <laughs> the the cosmic temple, Walton's view. If you look at Genesis, uh, uh, the six days in Genesis, there's a strange literary parallel, and Walton suggests that this is kind of tipping the hand to the reader. The first three days, we might say that we have um, the function, the order of of the things that we see in our world. We have uh, we see. We see day and night. We see time. We have the sky above and the, the and the waters below. Then we have land where the where people stand on the thing that we actually stand on. But then days four, five, and six, if days one, two, and three are the we might say the function. Days four, five, and six are um, the the things that go in that function. So uh, the the functionaries is what he calls them. Um, mm-hmm. And so in day you know day two we have uh, or day one we have. Uh, the creation of time, night and day. Day four, we come along, we have what marks that for us? Well, that's sun and moon and stars and so forth. And so, you know, day three, we have dry land separating waters. And then day six, we put things on that land, things that walk and uh, crawl. And that becomes, uh, you can see those parallels. So days one, two, and three, and four, five, and six are actually in parallel with each other. And that's the point. Uh, God is bringing his good order. And then day seven for Walton becomes really instructive. Day seven is when Yahweh comes to inhabit the space that he's created, thus mm-hmm. continuing that order. There's a lot we could wade into, and we may come back and do a, a deeper dive on each of these if that was helpful. So you can send us something in the show notes telling us uh, or in your comments if that would be helpful. Um, another view on the mythology side or the mytho-historical side would be uh, what's often, I just call it the polemic view. Polemic is the, from the Greek word just means war or battle. Uh, a polemic, like Republicans, oh. yeah, Republicans are always giving polemic against Democrat perspectives and vice versa. So a polemic is just an argument against. Um, from the mythological side, uh, there, are, there are many scholars that see because there's so much parallel in Genesis 1 with other Mesopotamian stories, that what the, the key insight is actually where Genesis 1 is making theological points of disagreement or difference. And that's what we're really after, that it's, in, a, in effect, borrowing is too strong of a word, but it's, it's 
using the, the cultural understanding of the world of its day, which is that ancient Mesopotamian one, but then making key points of distinction to highlight that Yahweh, in fact, is the only God, the sole creator, and uh, that humans have a role to play in his good creation and so on and so forth. And so it's kind um, of a you say, but I say way, exactly. of, way yes, of writing. Exactly. It's, it's, taking, it's taking images and ideas that are kind of circling in the air and saying, you raise this, now let me, let me spin it towards the way that actually represents mm-hmm. the truth of, of, uh, of God in these things. So the reason we're conce- conceiving of these as two ends of a spectrum is if you were adopting the cosmic temple view or this polemic view and you ask the question, do Christians believe the earth is 6,000 years old or very, very young? Th- these two perspectives are going to say, uh, Genesis isn't, isn't answering that. I'm not looking for a scientific counterpart one-to-one. Um, I'm not trying to map this onto a modern scientific textbook. The earth could be the universe could be very, very young, could be very, very old. Um, that's not the point that Genesis is attempting to make. And so that's why I'm putting it on the other side uh, of a spectrum. Good so far? Yep, yep. Okay, more in the middle are <clears throat> theories that essentially are trying to understand Genesis chapter one, um, but do so with a little bit of nuance. They sort of are similar. <clears throat> one is called the historical creation view. Um, it is most popularized by a scholar that we both love uh, named John Salehammer. And in Salehammer's view, the best way that I, that I conceive of this, uh, of, of this view of Genesis 1 is this. When you watch a Star Wars movie, so we both love Star Wars, we both think Episode 9 ruined the franchise, uh, but um, <laughs> when you think about the Star Wars movies, if you're unfamiliar, I'll just tell you how they all begin. It begins with blue letters, they come across the screen, and they say... A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Our, the scope that that creates for you as the, the viewer is cosmic. I mean, you have a huge cosmic scope that you are dropped into the middle of. And that would be Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created everything I see, the land and the sky and everything in between. Cosmic in nature. But then every Star Wars movie does the exact same thing. It's really clever. You know, the, the yellow words come across at that weird angle and it's hard to read. But then <laughs> the camera always pans down to like one ship or sometimes like one robot on the back of a ship. Now your scale went from the cosmic down to like this one ship on one planet. And this is my analogy to try to make sense of uh, Sailhammer's view, which is Genesis 1-1, cosmic. Genesis 1, 2 and following narrow the scope down to just the land, the land of what we now call Eden or where the garden is placed in the middle of that land. And so we're no longer talking about the universe, its creation. We're talking about the six days of the land being prepared for people. Um, so narrow your focus. In this case, how old is the earth? How old is the universe? They would say, doesn't, I don't know. The, Genesis isn't telling us. Yeah, um, it told. could be really old. Genesis 1, 1 could have happened billions of years ago. Um, but what Salehammer is interested in is in a six literal day process, um, six 24-hour periods, Yahweh fashioned a land to put people in. And that would be uh, Salehammer's view. Um, there's other ones that are similar to this. The one's called gap theory, and it has a similar, uh, we might say, style. But this is our spectrum. And in summary, what we wanted to do is invite you, the, the listener, onto this journey. Um, is the earth 6,000 years old? That That depends. Um, Jesus following Bible reading, smart people have landed on all different sides of the spectrum. I've actually been 
in, in my personal journey, I think I've been every single one of these. Um, <laughs> I've kind of, la- yeah, and, I, and I'm, I, I always say I'm open. Um, I'm open to continued learning um, as we learn more. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of where I find myself uh, presently. I know you've had a similar journey. Um, but as we make this invitation to the listener, um, it, anything you'd want to add, maybe cautions or uh, motivations to keep going? Yeah. Well, we already mentioned in terms of motivation to keep going. Like if you're uncomfortable by this or you feel scandalized by it or like, oh, what if if I start pulling on this thread, what's going to unravel? I would just say um, the safest place to be is to continue to press in in relationship with God and in his word. So I would just encourage you not to fear it. Um, But second of all, I I think a few ideas that are really helpful for me in this are, and I don't think we've quite stated it just as bluntly. I think we've been dancing around it, but I think for Christians, if you if you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, um, you want to uh, follow him in his view of the scriptures. And Jesus deeply trusted the scriptures. He viewed them as authoritative, as infallible, as spirit-inspired, as truthful, um, and so should we. And so whatever the authors of Genesis 1, I mean, the divine and the human together, we believe it was inspired by God. Whatever they intended to communicate, our posture for Christians, I know if you're a skeptic listening to this, this won't apply to you, but for Christians, we just want to say whatever God wanted to communicate through this text, that's what we want to receive. We don't get to stand Mm -hmm. over it. We don't get to um, try to trick it or force it into the categories and boxes that we want. Um, So, then you can start from a place of like, you can't, you don't have to be scandalized by as you closely wrestle with and chew on and meditate on the scriptures and you discover like literally, what is this trying to do? If it starts pushing you one direction or another, that's, that's different than maybe what you assume beforehand. Um, you can know that you're in a safe place as long as you're trying to honor what, what is there in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the problems come when we just say the text must be doing this, this, or this. Uh, before we've like deeply considered it. And that's just another way of kind of imposing our will and our agendas onto it. So Right. Tons left to be said, like the debate between science and, and faith. Can those be reconciled? Are they compatible? Uh, historical Adam and Eve, evolution, dinosaurs. Like there's a lot of uh, uh, still out there and we'll come back and, and maybe fill in some of those gaps. But just, just by summary, I guess we could close with this. Every one of these views, the person is affirming, and this is radical, this is amazing, that behind our universe, including uh, the way that I'm taking in breath right now, is a creator, personal being that desires to commune with his people and that has seen fit to reveal himself to his people in such a way that we can know him and love him and in such a way that he is so for us that he would send his own son to rescue us. And so... um, we haven't stated that as explicitly as we should probably either. We're affirming that the the ultimate answer behind our universe is there's a loving God. And that's profound. That's radically profound. And so uh, if this is the beginning of your journey, the middle of your journey, or you're just sort of, uh, you're toward the end of it and you're sending this to somebody that you're discipling, we hope that this uh, can bring uh, just some things to think through and some uh, some perspectives maybe to consider. And as always, thanks for joining us on Out of Curiosity. 